This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Wing It Podcast. Hello and welcome to Winging It, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, Annie Finberg, joined by my co-host, Vince Carter. BC in the house. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. We are excited to let you know that our guest tonight, hand chosen by yours truly, because I am a UFC fan, Francis Ngannou. Hello, Annie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for joining. Are you in Vegas right now? Yes, I'm in Vegas. That means the weather's that means the weather's good there. Hey, excuse me, uh, guys. I I just want to um, greet Vince first because. Uh, I mean, I didn't know him before because growing up in Africa, we didn't follow basketball. And then when I found out uh, where who he is, I mean, man, <laughs> we're such we're such a legend, like incredible. Like, <laughs> Thank you very I much. Saw your video, I'm like, okay, so how this work? I mean, I'm like six. I'm six foot, almost five. I can learn. I mean, I, I I don't practice, but to see the way you do it, how. Uh, athletic you are, man. One of Thank the you. best uh, things ever I, I haven't seen. And when I saw that, and that's when my buddy um, uh, Randy told me, like, his nickname, half man, half amazing. I'm like, yeah, I think he should just be, like, amazing. Uh, <laughs> you know, Appreciate it, man. Thank yeah. you. And uh, also, if you, you wouldn't be, like, a Air Jordan, I mean, like, if they want someone had the uh, legit to be named like the air is you. Like, you fly. <laughs> <laughs> you fly man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Much respect. Vince, I want to talk to you about Francis uh, worked with some kind of a like punching machine. Sorry, I don't know all the verbiage correctly. It, he holds the world record for the most powerful punch. And the punch was as strong as getting hit by a Ford Escort at, at full speed. So his punch is as strong as getting hit by a car. And you said you're six five. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. It doesn't matter. Six four, six five. Take your pick. That's a lot. That's a lot of thrust, if you would. That's you a know. lot of power. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, he's a lot stronger than Zion, but you know they say Zion, like drawing a charge from him, is like getting hit by a jeep or something. So I can imagine it's about the same. Yes, Z- Zion is a big guy too and very solid. Like. He get people almost to sleep. He almost knock people out from the, uh, in the yeah. basketball court. <laughs> yeah, but he's hitting people with shoulders and maybe forearms. But you put you talking about a fist. We talking about a, just a a different <laughs> some different contact right there. So, um, uh, but I, I mean, I, I, I get it. How have you trained yourself to get to where you know your punches are powerful? I mean, because I'm sure every fighter uh, who, who who steps in the octagon or or in in any boxing match or anything they you know that's obviously what they want they want to have some power they want their punches to to be powerful how did you kind of get that or decide that's going to be your specialty you know it's not like really something that i decided i just uh, at some point in my career at some point i just discovered growing up i have 
I think it's something that uh, I have, I was predisposed to have it uh, since I was uh, since I was a kid. But uh, until I get into sport, so I didn't have a chance to like practice any sport before I was 22. I was 22, wow. the very first time that I stepped in the boxing gym. And that was my first opportunity. Since then, I discovered, uh, I find, I found out that uh, I have some power, but wasn't really focused about Josie and power because I knew that I was late in the sport, you know. I mean, like MMA, I discovered MMA, I was 27. So that's where I started MMA, like uh, back in France, uh, almost uh, less than seven years ago, I discovered MMA and then I started to train. And at first it was just for fun. So like a uh, curiosity to dis- to see how it looks like. So I didn't really focus on that. I can r- truly take credit on the power stuff because it's not something that I would say, oh, I work hard for it, but I do like work hard for being a better athlete, knowing that I'm pretty late uh, in the sport. I think I need to work more than other fighters uh, who has been there for a very long time, who grew up in the sport uh, as, as an athlete, competitor or something like that. So I need to put more in it. I guarantee when they're preparing for you, they're still preparing for that. I guarantee that. (laughs) (laughs) And seven, you've only been doing this for seven years, which is crazy. Vince has been playing basketball for about 50 years at least. So, (laughs) but I mean, at least 40, but so he, you're ranked second in your weight class right now. Right. Um, so you're, you're almost the best in your weight class and you've only been doing this for seven years. So that's crazy. I'm pretty sure that's unprecedented. I couldn't Vince, you know, of any athletes in any other sports that started so late? Uh, I mean, we're seeing now coming in in high school. Uh, I, I mean, some of these kids come into high school starting late sports and they just pick it up. And I mean, it's an easy transition. It sounds like, I mean, if you have the love and dedication for it, uh, I, I mean, anything is possible. I mean, we see people who dedicated their their life to the sport. I eat myself for years and years. And that was kind of my focus. And I found what I wanted to do at a young age. And, you know, like you said, Francis, at 22 or you started even sports at in you know at 22 or 27 you, you found MMA so it's like you know late bloomers doesn't mean you're not special and gifted and the one thing i think that's going to that has separated you know, just from hearing you talk is that you understand now hey i'm late in the game but i have to work harder than them to play catch up and you know, that's something that you we as teammates and and coaching staffs have to encourage and, and and make young guys aware of is that when you when you're late in the game you have to work hard, harder to play catch up so you caught you got that early and that's why you're where you are yes i think it's uh you, you said earlier like uh, about the education and the love of the sport i mean you have to believe in in what you're doing and like really uh dedicate to that you know because it's not easy when you get there you have to face people with 10 years experience, 15 years experience. And then you barely have two years experience. You know, you have to put a lot of dedication, a lot of work to compensate this experience and uh, all these things, which is um, something that I've been doing and also trying to understand, uh, trying to understand the sport very, very fast because when you are uh, the number rank number two in the world, you don't stand there and wait 
more fight or many years to have experience. You have to fit in that position and then do everything it takes to stay in that position, maintain the position and go higher and assume what you are. Don't find like an excuse. I mean, I don't want to take it like an excuse. Like, well, I just started no long time ago. So that's why I lost. That's why I can't hold this place. No, I'm there and I have to assume. I have to maintain that, that position no matter what it takes, you know. That's called that's called dedication. Definitely. Your most recent fight, which was just a couple weeks ago during this coronavirus pandemic, which was interesting to watch because there were no fans and all that, but you knocked out your opponent 20 seconds into the first round. Did you <laughs> did you expect that to happen? And I mean, I know I was watching it. I was excited to see it. I was excited to watch a long fight. And it was, I mean, I blinked and it was over. Before you answer that, I'm going to say it sounded that that sounds like you know, back in, in <laughs> when I was younger and we used to w- watch Mike Tyson, it was the same approach. It was like, all right, yeah, we're going to, are we going to see a long fight today? Or it was going to be a, a one hit a quitter, <laughs> you know? So, and, and, you know, and people gr- uh, have started to grow to love and expect that from him. And it puts a lot of pressure on him, but you know, if you have that ability, do what you do. <laughs> yes. By the way, Mike Tyson is my motto. I always look up to what Mike Tyson uh, did and then like, Keep going back. As I said, growing up, I couldn't even watch Mike Tyson fight. But by even now, go on YouTube, find some Mike Tyson video and still watch. But uh, to answer your question, any no, I mean, I wasn't expect that. I wasn't expect that fight, the fight to be so so fast. Basically, uh, with a tough opening like that, you know, uh, the guy was pretty legit himself. As I, I was talking about the experience, once I went there, expect to finish a fight really quick, and he didn't go. He didn't go away for me. So uh, then I decided to just like use, take the opportunity that the fight gives me, no matter when. You know, I have my whole time. I have 15 minutes in three rounds. Uh, so I'm gonna take the opportunity when it came, when he shows his his. Yes, I learned, I had this experience a couple of years ago, not to rush, not to like go there and find a way to finish the guy really quick. But fortunately, this time I have a chance, you know, the opportunity shows up really quick and I took it. <laughs> yeah, he went night night. He sure did. <laughs> Dude went to sleep. <laughs> he was straight back. Well, can yeah. I ask a question with that? So, you know, as you prepare for typical fights and you know the crowd's not in your favor how was it oh she was 20 seconds but when you walk into a fight now and you don't feel the energy from the fans like you're used to how do you kind of get yourself in the moment how did you get yourself in the moment like I said it was quick but you still have to from the time you leave your locker room to you walk on into the octagon or into the ring it's just like you're used to hearing cheers, booze, or whatever, and it kind of motivates you either way. How did you get yourself prepared to fight with no fans? Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole the whole process was tough because before the quarantine, I was in the end of my training camp, so we have to extend one uh, one month and a half, so uh, training camp. So he been the longest training camp ever in the very different uh, circumstances you know uh, people were quarantined gym were closed people were home and you have to we have to find a way to like keep training 
get ready for this fight that we didn't know when exactly is going to happen until the last minute. I mean, when you go to some training camp like that, he also, he almost prepare you like to work out in the big gym, like just two of you, three of you, you know. So the whole quarantine time was like a surf, like a real moment. You get prepared. You you have a new experience of different things. The it was very important to like picture the moment that you walk from the locker room to the arena. That helped you to prepare because you're thinking about it. You know, okay. Like oh, when I used to work, it's like this, but this time it's going to be different. I'm, I'm probably going to hear my uh, my opponent, Padre. I'm going to hear his coaches, everything, no crowd. Like when you get there, you know, uh, you're a professional, you know exactly what you're there for. Uh, I've been to a fight where I get booed and I didn't. So I, I try to not pay attention of the crowd to like stay in my bubble and then work in the work to the octagon and then get my job done, you know. So this time I trying to not think about it, like okay, either they are fan or not, I still have the same thing to do, you know. And then I walk in uh, into the octagon and it was the same setup. Everything was the same. And at that moment, uh you don't think about fan anymore. You have somebody uh in front of you, you want to take your head off. So, man, you better be focused 100%. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it will be interesting to see with other sports resuming what it's going to be like without crowd noise. Because I know so many athletes depend on that to, like, get excited. And I know one of the best parts about watching UFC fighting is, like, when, you know, if you look away for a second and then you hear everyone's like, ah, like yelling really loud. And then you you look and the person's already on the ground or something. So I know that. I've watched Daniel Cormier has been obviously calling the fights. And so it's been, it's been nice to hear him calling them at least instead of having the fans. Yeah. That's a whole new experience. Definitely different. Before we go back and talk a little bit about your upbringing and kind of how you got to the States, when do you think your next fight's going to be? Are you going to fight um, the number one fighter in your weight class in order to be the champion? I know you fought him already, but what's that looking like for you? I know you're trying to fight John Jones, maybe. I mean, uh, John Jones was, what uh, was the uh, second option? Because obviously I want to fight for the title. But uh, as uh, the USA said, they want to do trilogy between Daniel Cormier and Stipe, which is sometime this year. Nobody nobody knows when. Based of that, I'm probably going to fight a winner. So I have a long time out before fight again. Because when you think about it, those two people, those two guys, I are going to fight and nobody knows when, maybe in September or October or when, whenever. And then hopefully when they fight, uh, somebody, uh, the winner doesn't get hurt, you know, or doesn't get injury. And then uh, he will come back after three, four months. So that's basically where my uh, I, I am. And uh, that's my position. That's probably why I've been looking up some fight and uh, the, John, the John Jones fight. It was a pretty good fight. I mean, this is a fight that I knew that is going to happen at some point in my career. I didn't just expect that we're going to be here uh, talking about it right now. I mean, before the UFC, it freeze it in the eyes, but um, we were very serious about it. And he's in a different weight class, right? Or or do, are they kind of the same? He's in like light heavyweight or something? Will you explain yes, that to us? 
Yes, he's light, light heavyweight. But uh, you have to know that he cut weight to go to light heavyweight. So, like, every day, he's a heavyweight. So if he fought you, it would be a heavyweight fight, not a light heavyweight fight? Yes, because there is no, ch- there is no chance that I go to light heavyweight. I can't <laughs> put that much weight. <laughs> Two seasons ago, not this season, but the season before, which is when we really learned about UFC. But at the time, he was like a two-time champ in two different weight classes and all that. And so that was confusing, but he's a good guy. Um, how often are you talking with the other fighters and training with the other fighters? I mean, uh, if you meet the guy, uh, some some fighter somewhere, I mean, you know what he takes to be a fighter. We have respect to each other. And then besides... There are some guys in your gym, so you talk to them all the time, you, you train with them. And those one that somebody like Mas Holloway, I have I met him a few times uh, in the fight. We we fought in the same in the same car in uh, Detroit. And uh yeah, I met him. He was nice, very nice guy. If you've been dealing with acne, redness, dark spots, or wrinkles, finding treatment that works can be complicated. You need skincare that actually performs, but getting started can be overwhelming. Thankfully, there's a solution. Roman makes it convenient to get customized prescription skincare that really performs. Just grab your computer or phone, complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If appropriate, a doctor will prescribe you a custom blended treatment based on your skin type and priorities. You'll receive your custom skincare treatment with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. In celebration of Men's Health Month, Roman is offering $20 off any new treatment during the month of June. Go to GetRoman.com slash winging it for $20 off any new treatment and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash winging it. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Before we transition into kind of what's going on in our country today, I want you just to talk, Francis, a little bit about um, your upbringing. You're from Cameroon and you have a very interesting story. So I'll just let you take it and kind of tell us and the listeners where you came from and how you got to this point today. Oh, that's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) How many days you have ahead of you to to listen to (laughs) We have like 30 minutes. (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm from Cameroon and raised in Cameroon. Um, very poor family, though. Like, very poor. Growing up, it wasn't easy at all. Couldn't even uh, afford school. Or I started to work in the sun mine. I was uh, 10 years old. So I have to do this job, which is very strong, um, very hard, and means for adults. I mean, that's probably one where I also built uh, a part of my my power because it wasn't a job mean for kids, but we we were forced forced to do it because we didn't have uh, another option if we wanted to like eat or go to school. So that's how I grew up until like maybe uh, age thirteen. I was at school. Other kids were were looking at me like I was the last because. I was the one that anytime, at every time, they're going to kick me out 
in the classroom because I didn't have pen or a notebook or because I didn't the, the, the scholarship or the effort that I have done to, to resolve this. So that's when I decide to like do something which is, was going to put me in the front line and show that kid that show those kids that it's not, it's not, it wasn't my fault. So it's just life. They have nothing uh, more than me. I didn't just have a chance that they have. So it wasn't my fault. I was just a kid as them. So she deserved that. And that's where uh, I put all together. I'm like, okay, so what can I do with it that? And I came up with boxing. So by since age 13, I knew that I wanted to be a professional boxer. You know, until like the 22 that I started tra training and I trained for one year. I got sick. I stopped training until I was 26. I realized that I'm not going anywhere close to succeed, succeed in Cameroon with boxing. So I decided to move from Cameroon to Europe. But was poor, didn't have money, so couldn't afford, couldn't have visa for anywhere. So I took my backpack and closed my door and just leave, like go to adventure. I went from Cameroon to Nigeria, from Nigeria to Niger, you know, like just immigrating from Niger to Algeria, Algeria to Morocco. And then from Morocco to Spain, that was the hard part because it was uh, the European border is very, very protected in, the, in both sides. So it took from Morocco to Spain. It took me like uh, one year. So we've been trying going to different kind of obstacles. After one year, I succeed. Then I made it in Spain, and that's where I went in France. And you know, seven years after, yeah, I am. I discovered MMA when I was when I went in France. That was uh, in summer 20, 2013. That's when I went in France, and then I didn't know nobody in France, and uh, didn't have money, nothing. So I was when I went in France, I was homeless, but didn't care about it because I knew that it was just a short period of time, and that was a that was an opportunity that I've been looking for somewhere that I had a chance to do something, and obviously I knew that I'm not going to stay in France forever because my dream country since I was a kid was the US. So I'm like, okay, let's take the opportunity here. Instead of like find a way, trying to keep going and then maybe uh, look at the uh, service door to get in the US. Let's stay here, take the opportunity, make things uh, right and then maybe you're going to get there. You're going to finally get to the US by the main door. I stayed in France for two years I had my USC contract and I came in the US by the Mendor. I mean, I, I remember the very first time I came in the US, that was uh, uh, December 2015 when I fought in Orlando, uh, Florida. I had my P1 visa. We flew in in uh, Florida and then they have it um, in the airport within, like, they just have a plaque uh, with uh, UFC. Francis and Gano on the plane, and then when I came in, he took my bag, walked us to the car, opened the door, everything, and brought us to five star hotel. Then I'm like, 
I look at myself, I'm like, damn, I, I made it, you know. I made it by the main entrance, you know, not the service entrance anymore. So it's over. <laughs> yes, that was the beginning. That's what I was going to ask. Well, how did you, you know, make your way to to Vegas? And what did you already have a contract in France? But you answered that question. So you'd want to, I take it you won a couple of fights to get uh, an opportunity to fight in Orlando? Yes, it took, it took, I, have a, I had a couple of fights in, uh, in Europe until uh, I get, before I get my USC contract. So after, yes, after that, I was in France. Then uh, I, I had like four, five fights. I was still in France. You know, I had to get ready to move down here in the US. And um, in April 2017, I moved down here in Vegas. And here you are. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I am. And correct me if I'm wrong, you just learned English when you moved to the States, right? Yeah. I mean, like when I have my UFC contract, then uh, I started to come here, even though it was like maybe for one week, then I realized that I have to learn this language. I mean, I always want to learn English, even though I didn't have an opportunity. But uh, I think by then I understood that, okay, this is the time to go. Like I tried to grab some wool, trying to put things together and it wasn't still enough. It was too hard because I had to like do it. Uh, and interviews, post fight, press conference uh, and all those things, I realized, okay, I think I need to like learn this thing like seriously. But when I moved here in 2017, that's when I really, and I knew it. And that's, that's probably one of the, the, the first reason of why I moved in the U.S. I'm like, okay, English is hard to learn, but there's one thing you cannot fall in the water and in the water and take it out dry. You know, you're going to get it wet no matter what. So if I go in the U.S., I'm going to get some English. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing Annie can you imagine that can you no. imagine that like no. literally coming you're not only trying to survive a new country but you have to learn the language and understand it to survive you know what I'm saying that's I mean that's that's kudos to you because I mean it's just uh, I think we take it for granted and obviously we we try to learn a second language in school but you learn a second language in school but you rely on your 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 first language you coming here to the states and it's a totally different situation. And I mean, obviously you've handled it and you've been successful and you speak, you speak very well. So, uh, can, you know, kudos to you for, for really getting it all handled. Thank you. But, uh, I would not say I tried to survive in the U S like, uh, I tried to survive like in France because that was a struggle. I was homeless, like finding my way, like sleeping at the street, you know, mm -hmm. But when I came in the U.S., I was living my dream, man. We were talking about languages. How many other languages do you speak? Three languages. Three languages. How many languages do you speak, Vince? One and a half. A half? <laughs> <laughs> What's the half? Yeah. Spanish? Yeah. I live in Florida, <laughs> man. You know, you better know a little Spanish. <laughs> right. And this situation is not comparable, but I went to Thailand a couple of years ago. Um, and it's, it's so weird going to a country where they don't speak your language. I don't know if you had this experience, but we would just speak our own language to each other. So like I would speak English to them and they would speak Thai to me as assuming that at some point one of us would understand the other, but I, I couldn't do it. I, 
I know like three words of Thai and I lived there for six months. I can imagine you were almost fluent in English over six months. So that's very impressive. Yes, but um, growing up even at school, we have, we, we took English class in the middle school. I took English classes. So I have a, a few base of, it's a, little, a small base of uh, English so I could say something in uh, in English, even though my accent was very different. And I mean, I I knew a few words. It's not like I was just like wrong in anything, you know. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, Vince. We touched on this last week, but obviously things have escalated since then. Um, the current state of our country. Francis, I know obviously you're aware of it down there in Vegas, but um, George Floyd was killed. Today, some minor good news came out, which is that the other three officers are being charged and the main former cop who was charged is now being charged with second degree murder. So there's a small bright spot, but so much chaos and and sadness going on right now. I just wanted to give you both a chance to speak on this and, you know, maybe any experiences you guys have had with racism and how you faced that and, and all that. Personally, uh, growing up in Africa, I didn't know, you know, the problem of racism because I was in my country, you know. But uh, yeah, like uh, move from to France and here in the U.S. in the past year, I've discovered a different way that people treat each other and uh, also the different way that the system are uh, treating people. Like when you see some situation like this, why do they need to do all this to charge before they charge all those three people? It was literally a crime. If I if I was a judge, I would put this like a first degree murder because you you literally intend to kill somebody. The guy wasn't a threat and stuff like this. It happens a lot in the U.S. I was in uh, Jacksonville. Uh, last week, watching this video, who was crazy again, and we even have a, ch- a t-shirt for it. It was about uh, Ahmad Abri. It was the same thing. Like, where is the justice? I mean, I, this is just a thing that uh, proved that something wrong in the system. Maybe like they have to like fix it. Being an African and seeing this thing, and a lot of things like this happen even in France. It's not just here in the U.S. And that's why even in France, uh, they are protesting, but not because of George Floyd, but uh, for Adama, because we have a similar case in France four years ago. And this is just one uh, among tens of hundreds of cases like that. I think we have to do something for this. Like when, because when you see this, you, you really like, okay, which world do I going to leave my kids in? Which world do I going to leave my family into? You know, it has to get better. We have to do something. We have to take action to change it. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think it's just the first step and it's a, it's a relief, you know, the whole, I, I hate to use it better late than never, but, you know, I think one hurdle has been accomplished and, you know, we, we, we've seen now all of, uh, all of the, the people involved who are now arrested and hopefully justice is served. You know, it's, we got the first step. <laughs> There's a charge. Now we, it mean, has to be followed ju- through. Judge, ju- uh, justice is false because they respond to people reaction. People didn't need to have to react before we have this response. I mean, there is a law out there 
we say, okay, if you did harm something, somebody basically like um, uh, on, on purpose, you're going to charge for that. Like you are, you are the one who has to protect people. I mean, like when I see cops somewhere, well, if I go somewhere and I'm scared, I see cop there, I feel safe because I know, okay, this is the line. He's going to protect me. He's there yeah. to protect me. I feel safe to go work to the cop and talk to him, you know, but if he came at this point, like you don't know, the guy was supposed to protect you is to become the biggest threat and the one who harm you, you know. And for me, just been seeing this for a few years now, he hurt me. I'm very frustrated about it. So I can't even imagine of uh, the people, African American, or around the country who has grew up in the in this situation, who has been a victim of uh, illegal justice and. I mean, he he might be very tough for them. And uh, I think with that being said, I think um, the roles were reversed. He would have been arrested immediately. Oh, definitely. You know, it, it wasn't, you wouldn't even have to ask that question. And, you know, it just brings the, the next point is just, it's higher up that, that needs to be fixed. We, of course, we expect, hey, we want justice immediately. And, you know, unfortunately, I've learned, you know, there's, the rules are different for us citizens and, 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 and the cops. It's just, it's just unfortunate. And, and like you said, you made the great point. That's why, you know, I'm, I'm limited in what I need to say because it, it needs to be fixed. And, you know, if, if you're wrong, you should be punished for what you, what you've done, regardless of who you are, whether you're a citizen and, or, you know, you work for, for the law of, you know, at any rank, it's, it's disappointing that you have to go through what's going on now to, to even get to this point. And that's to protest quietly protests. And then there's some who are writing that, you know, there's, there's levels to it, but to have to go that far for something that's point, I mean, in our faces, it's not like we're hearing about it, but we didn't see video. We all got to see the same video. Yes. The whole was saw the video. Yeah. And so it, it should be, I mean, I'm cutting dry, but, Obviously, this doesn't work that way, and it needs to be fixed. And I just have to say, uh, I'm proud of my, my friend um, Stephen Jackson for what he's doing. He's extremely close to it because it's a very, very close friend, which he would consider family. Obviously, you know that's a true superhero. What he's doing, and he's he's making sure justice is, is being served, and he's letting his he's using his platform and letting his voice be heard. And, and, and that's what it's all about. And, you know, I've, I've donated, you know, I'm not big about social media, have to prove, but I have donated um, to the family, to the daughter. And, you know, and I, I'm in support of, of Steven and everything he's doing, you know, it's just, it's, you know, some, it's unfortunate to read some of the comments and hear what people are saying. And, you know, that's, that's for another time, but it's just like, you know, I'll just say this, the all lives matter thing kind of, kind of frustrates me because, when you're saying all lives matter, that means black lives matter also. And that's not the case. So all lives can't matter. You, you see what I'm saying? So that, that's, that's the frustrating thing. And, and you, know, you know, we have to work through it. You know, it, it, it when, when, when there's, there's content, when there's debates, when there's people uh, 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 who are opinionated and have things to say, this is how change will happen. Um, because sometimes people who speak out, we figure it out. And for the people that don't figure, uh, speak out, you're telling us all we need to know. So, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been great to see. And it's been sad to see at the same time, because I mean, you're seeing people come together and let's, let's, let's be clear. It's not about, it's not about black and white. It's not about that. It's just about, you know, the people who have hate in their heart and, and who are, who are not open-minded. And Andy, I want to uh, really uh, say thank you to you for you using your voice. And, you know, I've seen it. Um, people have reached out to me and was like, man, you know, she's really putting it out there using your voice or, you know, for you who, who are, who is a, is a white girl in, in, in this world who is using your voice and, and making people aware. And that's, that's what we need more so than anything. It's just people to speak up and just talk about it because that's how, if conversation isn't had and we don't try to get on the same page, we're, we're right where we, we've started, where, where we are, where we've been for so long and we'll never move forward. I, I totally agree with you. Obviously, you don't need to thank me, Vince. I feel like it's really the least I can do. I feel like my my voice that I do have is my responsibility to stand up for what I believe to be right. And it's it's been a crazy week for me to have a lot of really big conversations with my friends and family. Um, like I posted on Instagram, I was raised to love everyone, no matter what their race, gender, religion, any of that is. And I never really had a conversation with my family about race because it just wasn't a necessity. Like it just, it wasn't a thing that divided me from someone else, but to be able to have these conversations with my mom and my sister, and just to really understand that we're all on the same page and that like, we all believe that this is such a broken system and that racism is truly embedded in our society, especially in the South. Like in the South, it's 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 really bad. Growing up in Colorado, I, I really didn't see it a lot in Colorado. Like I'm sure it's there, but I really didn't see it. The thing about Black Lives Matter that, that I've seen a lot, I'm sure you guys have seen it too, is the people saying all lives matter, first of all, they just need to stop. Second of all, they say if one person's house is on fire and people are going to put the house out, like put the house out and they're saying, no, 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 you have to get all the houses that aren't on fire. Our houses are not on fire right now. There's a community that's hurting that needs support and they need to be helped by every other community that's out there. And until we white people and people who have privilege that I have that I'm aware of until we speak out, nothing's going to change. And so Correct. I feel like that's my responsibility to do that. And I just want to say one more thing for some of my other, my, my other white friends um, who who's actually, you know, been open about conversation, you know, for you, Andy, you said you've had conversation with your family and you guys are on the same page, but there's a few of my friends whose family aren't on the same page. And I, I, that's just, it's amazing and it's just wowing, but I understand it. I get it. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's different in every household. You know, we all look at things different. We all see things different, but I, right is right is wrong is wrong. You know, point blank. And we got to look at it like that because I say, I, I, the one thing I say, put the shoe on the other foot. Put the shoe on the other foot as, as uh, you know, and, and I told, uh, as far as their family is concerned and if it was their son, you know, laying there and, you know, you want justice and you want things to be handled fairly. And, you know, sometimes privileged people don't think about that because of their privilege, because there's times now to this day, I walk outside and I don't play the card of, I assume the cop knows who I am. And you, and you know me, I was out when we're, when I'm places, I'll still introduce myself. I don't assume nothing. That's not my thing. So I don't assume that. And, you know, to be tentative in 2020 is, is scary and it's amazing and it's, it's sad, but, you know, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of, you know, what people are doing and, 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 you know, doing it peacefully. And sometimes, you know, we got to act out of character when you've tried to be peaceful and 
you don't want to hear us or you don't want to give us a chance. That's my thing. If you don't, you know, just like anybody, once you've tried, you've tried, you tried the right way. Sometimes doing, you know, acting out of character will get you to hear what we're, what we're saying. So um, uh, I'm just glad that people, you, it's just great to see a lot of movement. And I mean, moving forward and people are kind of coming together and, you know, you're starting to see like the cops who, who mistreated the college students, they were removed from their duty immediately. I mean, these things that probably didn't, wouldn't have happened two years ago, two weeks ago. It's, it's a slow process. And obviously we want justice immediately because of the years passing the laundry list of people, black folks that have fallen victim to this situation. That's what is the frustrating. And I don't mean to carry on about it, but it's just, that's, that's what I want people to understand. That's the frustrating part about it. Just think, if you look at your family, let's say you have 20 family members and every two years, a family member is it dies off for not a natural cause, murder for some reason, you're going to want justice. But if it never happens and after a while, you're down to 10 family members, eight family members with no justice, you're going to be sick and tired of it. And you want some answers. And it's kind of, that's what I want people to understand. Like you have to put it in perspective to understand it. And until people do that or willing to do that, willing to do that, we're going to still, we will still be right here. I'm done. Well, Francis, thank you so much. Um, thank you, man. Appreciate you. This was great. You, it was Andy. so good. good so you, good Vince. to have you on. We'll be, we'll be watching your fights. Vince will stay up with it with me, always checking in and all that, like he normally does. Thank you. And that is another edition of the Winging It podcast with UFC great Francis Ngannou. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to give us five stars. Let us know who you want to hear from. Five stars, guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.